This is Marriage to the Max, episode number 130. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage to the Max. I'm your host, Kelly Hurst, and my husband, Brett, and I are marriage educators and co-founders of Home Encouragement. And this podcast is designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. Well, today's episode is called The Go-Giver Marriage, an interview with Anna and John David Mann. Well, it's not every day I get to interview a New York Times bestselling author and his brilliant therapist wife, but today I got to do just that, and you are going to love this conversation. Anna Gabriel Mann and John David Mann have just co-written a beautiful new book called The Go-Giver Marriage. Now, you may recognize John David Mann as the co-author of more than 30 books, including four New York Times bestsellers and five national bestsellers. His classic 2008 parable, The Go-Giver, which he co-authored with Bob Berg, earned the 2017 Living Now Book Awards Evergreen Medal given for its contribution to positive global change. He is married to Anna Gabriel Mann, who earned her degree in clinical psychology before going on to serve as a celebrated educator, therapist, corporate trainer, speaker, and coach. She currently coaches Go-Giver Marriage Clients and leads the Go-Giver Marriage Coaches Training Program, training coaches from around the globe. They have been married for 25 years, and in this episode, they not only discuss their upcoming book, but they give some great marriage advice. I'm talking real pearls of wisdom here. So get comfortable and enjoy the delightful and wise Anna and John Mann. Enjoy. Well, John David Mann and Anna Gabriel Mann, thank you so much for joining Marriage to the Max. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're thrilled to have you, and we're very excited about this new book that is going to be coming out on March 8th, The Go-Giver Marriage. And um, I think we'll just jump right into the questions, how about? Anytime I see a title for a new marriage book, I get excited because, you know, my husband, Brett, and I do marriage work when we work with couples, and we do everything from premarital training to, you know, crisis coaching and everything in between. There's a lot of really good marriage books out there. And there are a lot of that just kind of leave you flat. Just think, wow, that was just a boring book. But I have a feeling this one is not going to be that type of book. I, this sounds really interesting. I love that you use a lot of narrative and story in the book, which I think we all learn better when we talk about story. So, you know, what makes your marriage book different from all of the other ones that are out there on the Barnes and Noble shelves? I think we both have things to say about that, but I'll jump in and say, one thing that is different, and you, you alluded to it, is it's a story. Actually, the book is in two halves. The first half is called The Parable, and the second half is called The Practice. So The Parable is a story. It's a story about a young couple named Tom and Tess. And Tom is, is going through the most important business interview of his life. So this is like a critical day. 
And in the middle of his interview, the old gentleman who's interviewing him starts out of kind of left field telling this sort of fairy tale, a fable. So there's like a fable within the parable. And that's all the story, the, the first part of, of the book. The second part, the practice, was really written by Anna. I wrote the parable, she wrote the, the practice. And that is from our from her experience of our own marriage, as well as all her, her years as a therapist and as a marriage coach. But I say all this because there's several different ways. Some people more easily get to the truth through a story. Some people more easily get to the, to the truth through practical instruction. Even in the practice part, there are client stories mixed in. So there's stories like, as you said, narrative throughout the book. Um, we wanted to make the book as accessible and as interesting and most of all, as useful as we could possibly, possibly make it. So over to you, sweetheart. And also, I think that what makes it different as well is that, you know, I think a lot of marriage books are very dense. They get into the really deep, deep issues. They talk about the impact those issues have on marriages. And they have some solutions, but it always feels complex. And it always feels like both parties are going to have to sit down and really study and learn. And in my years of working, I came to some conclusions about ways that people could shift the tone of their marriage by acts of generosity. And the original book, The Go-Giver, was about the five secrets to stratospheric success. You know, it's gone around the world. It's in over 30 languages. And it's based on, on always having a spirit of generosity and always looking to add value to the other person's life and to keep your own needs back. And it doesn't mean that we don't have needs, but when you're giving, you're, you're always in a place of looking for opportunities to, to feed the marriage, if you will, rather than looking for marriage ways to criticize the marriage or tear the marriage down. And I think that each secret is based in developmental theory. And developmental theory is, you know, in a nutshell, since you're a therapist and a coach, you know, it's what you needed as a child, you still need today. And all of these primary needs that we had as children continue to be needs that we have as adults. But life gets busy. People get fired. You know, people go through bankruptcies. They have miscarriages. They have children with special needs. Their parent dies. You know, somebody in the marriage gets sick. Things happen that take the trajectory of romantic love and just throw it out the window. And all of a sudden you're there and all of your emotional needs that you had when you were children that may have been unfulfilled rise up like dragons and start being the narrative in the marriage. And I think that that's our goal, if there was a goal, was to define ways that you could, as an individual, take action to change your marriage. Wonderful. How did you decide that you wanted to write a book together about marriage? And how did you decide you wanted to tie it to the Go-Giver series that, John, you've written in the past? This is easy to, to describe. I've published a, a lot of books, over 30 books. And uh, the Go-Giver, the original Go-Giver, was the first book that I actually co-authored that really was a substantial success. And through all the books, Anna's been my first reader. She's always been the one who reads the first rough, very rough draft that comes out of my desktop printer. Um, she's 
not only my first reader, she's my best reader. She has a really great critical eye and she loves my writing. She's my biggest fan, but she also will tell me what doesn't quite work and what needs work. And uh, that's, that's just so valuable to a writer to have somebody who, who can do that. When the first Go-Giver rough draft came off my printer in 2005, she read it and said, this is wonderful. And in her next breath, she said, this would make a great book about marriage. This is what we do. So we've been together for 25 years, and we've had friends for years who've asked us, you guys, like, what's your secret sauce? What, what, how can we bottle what you guys do? Because we just adore each other. And we've also, we don't live in a fairy tale world. We've been through hardships, through, through difficulties, through some of the things that Anna just described. You know, we, we've suffered through those things that, that people do suffer through. But we seem to come out of those situations stronger, more on each other's team, as opposed to more fractured and more frazzled and more dissolved. So we've, all, you know, we've always had an interest in, in sort of reverse engineering. What is it that, that we have that we do? And the Go-Giver sort of provided a framework. Since the Go-Giver book, that, that book came out, and then there were others in the series, one a book about leadership, a Go-Giver book about influence, a Go-Giver book about sales. But we always had this idea, wouldn't it be interesting, wouldn't it be fantastic to do a Go-Giver book about marriage and to write it together? This is the first time we've written together, actually. Yeah. And so this is like a whole new avenue for our relationship, as well as for the Go-Giver series. I'm always intrigued by married couples who write a book together. And I wonder, did they, what were the surprises? What were the challenges about working together? Because I imagine there's, that's quite a road to walk together. I always think, what are the new marriage issues that came up with the married couple writing the marriage book? So the first thing I'll say is that even though this is the first book we've written together, we've done a lot of other things together. We've been in business together. We've been entrepreneurs together. We've taught together. We've So we've, this isn't our first rodeo in terms of doing something, a project together. That honestly, we were comfortable working with each other already. I wasn't so sure how comfortable I'd be with somebody else in, in my writer's room, because normally the way that I write, <laughs> even though most of my books are co-authorships, I don't sit in a room with, the, with my co-author. Once the draft starts, I'm alone in my room and I do the writing. That's how my, that's how my books happen. <laughs> and then when the book's done, I turn the phone back on and open up the door. And then I, I talk with my co-author and we, we revise and, you know, and complete it together. But this is the first time I literally wrote with someone else. And it was amazing. It was fantastic. I think the impact it's had on us, by the way, not just writing the book, but doing a podcast like this. I've done a billion podcasts, but they've always been just me. I never knew what it would be like to share that. And it's just been a whole, again, a whole new avenue of exploration for us. It's been just phenomenal. I, I'm just in love with the process. I will, and I will hear with Stop Talking. Oh, that's wonderful <laughs> to hear. Anna, did you have any surprises <laughs> along the way? Or? You know, I come from a therapy background. So a lot of my writing in the past was, you know, clinical, clinical journals, things like that. And so I was the most worried about, okay, what's my, is my writing going to fit this? Is it going to be okay? John is just an incredible editor. And while he wrote the first half of the book, I wrote the second half and he just was really generous of spirit. You know, he was like, just let it rip. Don't edit yourself. Just let it out. And, you know, we'll see how it 
it hits the page. And then I'd send things over. You know, we literally had offices at opposite ends of the house. And I'd send something over via email. And he'd come out of his office and he'd walk down to my office and he'd be like, this is great. <laughs> I'd be like, whoa. So I think, really? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I was like so surprised because I really admire his writing. And I mean, he's really a good writer. He's also an incredible editor. So he made all of my writing even better. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, it was just a journey of love. It was so great. It surprised both of us. And also we had developed the five secrets over 15 years of long walks that we take every evening. And we had talked about what were the fundamental things that we really wanted to teach. And that if we had a real message for people who were married, what would it be? And so those were really developed a long time before we stepped into this, the two stories, the two halves of the book. I love hearing that. Well, let's jump into just a little bit of a taste. We, don't, we, we won't ask you to give us the whole meal, but maybe just a little morsel. What are the foundations of these five secrets? How did you come to focus on that? As I said earlier, the foundations are developmental theory and, and just what you needed when you were young, you need now. And each one of them has a unique twist on the things that you needed developmentally as you were growing up. But they're all very powerful. So I will start with the very first one because I think it, it really exemplifies what a very young infant needs and also very easily translates to what an adult needs. When you're a baby, there's nothing better than laying on a blanket and having your mommy or your daddy cooing over top of you and imitating your every sound and blowing kisses on your belly and just telling you that you are the most beautiful, most amazing little baby that's ever been born. Because that, you know, even though, you know, children pick up language very quickly, but, you know, in, in essence, it isn't the words, it's the tone. And that tone says, I love you a thousand times over. And I love you in this way and in that way. And you are perfect. And that's a really powerful message because as adults, I believe that the most powerful need that we have is to be witnessed, which is to be seen, to be heard, and to be understood. And those are three components of being witnessed. And each of the secrets carries different avenues of those, but this one very powerfully speaks to it because the secret is to appreciate. And it is one, two, three, four or five times a day, find something that you love about your partner, something they're doing, some way that they are, and take the time to express it in words directly to them. And I often tell people it's not a passing compliment. It's an opportunity to tell them with some authenticity and some sincerity what it is you love about them and the things that they do in the world that make you love them more. And so you know, an example that I, I've used several times lately is of a client of mine who used to call herself the hands on her hips girl. Now she was somebody who, who really, she said she had her hands on her hips when he came through the door and that her favorite phrase for him was, honey, we need to talk. And, um, and she soon learned that that would strike fear in his heart. <laughs> but she, she shifted it completely. And one Friday night, he took the kids Christmas shopping. 
And he not only took them out Christmas shopping, but he bought all, you know, they got all their Christmas presents handled. He took them out for ice cream. He brought them home. He marched them all upstairs. He made them all wrap the presents together so that they could bring them all downstairs and put them under the tree. And she had had a really hard week at work under a great deal of stress. And so the next morning when they got up and they were having coffee, she said to him, I just want you to know that last night you rescued me completely. I was in tatters from work and I was so fragile. And she said, you taking the kids out and doing all that shopping with them and treating them like they were little kings and queens and then bringing them home and getting it all organized and wrapped and and have it, watching their little faces as they came down the stairs with their secrets that mommy didn't know about. She said, it was the most delightful moment for me as a parent because it was a moment when I got to see what an amazing father you are. And I just want you to know, I thank God every day that you are the father of our children. And I just love you so much. And she said, he's a guy that always has has a comeback. And she said, he was like flabbergasted. He's He sat back and she said, he kind of, his face got kind of red and he was like, wow, thank you. He said, you have no idea how much that means to me. He said, I want more than anything to be a good father. And, you know, his father wasn't such a great father. He had a father who was very critical and a father who was very domineering. And um, so he's a guy that's really worked on himself and he's a fabulous father. And so she found this way of expressing it that just totally hit him right between the eyes. And she said that from that day forward, he said, you know, I think I have to read this book. (laughs) He knew that she was practicing, but it was like, it was a very powerful moment between them. So, you know, you can't underestimate how much we all need to be witnessed. You're exactly right. I just want to piggyback on that if I can and say that, you know, the way I was listening to every word Anna spoke and she's so articulate. She said this beautiful thing that this woman said to this guy. And I just want to, you know, for Folks out there listening who might be thinking, wow, I could never be that articulate. I just want to say, it's okay. We've seen guys, for example, who who feel completely awkward about articulating something they appreciate about their wife. It's like, how do I say that? What It's like, it just feels weird. What do I, you know, it feels fine to say, hey, baby, you look great. But to actually sit and say something like Anna just did feels like awkward. It can be like using a muscle you haven't used for years and it can feel awkward and it's okay if it does. In fact, awkward usually scores points because it's authentic. You're being yourself. It's okay if you, if you say, if you squirm and say, honey, um, I actually, I don't even know how to say this. Actually, it feels kind of weird, but I just got to say you, I just so appreciate the, the way you just didn't get on my case last night when I was so grumpy and just, you know, listened and, and just heard me out and didn't, you know, didn't hold me at fault for that. And just kind of rubbed my back and made me feel better about it or whatever it was that happened. It's okay. If it's foreign territory, just go through the motion, do it anyway, go do the awkward part. It actually gets easier and easier. I can absolutely promise. And it's a practice. It's like practice. It's like playing tennis or it's like doing exercises or it's like, you know, playing the flute. You just got to start by making a strange noise and then the noise gets better and it gets better and it gets better. And what happens is it starts to tune you and turn tune your attention span so, until you start becoming an investigator, looking for things that you love, looking for things you appreciate. You start getting yourself into the habit 
of looking for things that you can point out with words to your spouse. And this is what we're after. We're after both of you getting back to that space that you were in when you were first romantically entangled, when you were first in that spark of romance, where everything the other person did was amazing and you couldn't say enough about it. (laughs) And you never even occurred to you that you were being awkward, even though you probably were being incredibly awkward, but you didn't know it and neither did she (laughs) because you were completely in love. We want you to get back to that place where you are just, I, I can't not tell you how amazing it is what you just did with our kids. I can't not tell you how much I appreciate how you were with me last night when I was so tired or how you were this morning when I was grumpy or just how thoughtful you are or how much you, you, know, you take care of your parents. I admire the way that you do that. There's so many things that you can find that you love about this other person once you start going on the hunt, once you start investigating. It's like a treasure hunt and it never ends. Absolutely. And if I can just add one thing that I want the listeners to understand, it's this. The opposite of appreciation is criticism. And criticism is one of the things that will tear a marriage apart. And it's easy to get in that loop where you're looking for things that bother you. And what we're inviting couples to do is to look for the things that you love instead of looking for the things that irritate you. Yeah, he may have left his socks on the bedroom floor again. But you know what? Do you want to focus on that? Or do you want to focus on the fact that he came home early and took the kids to the park and gave you a chance to go take a nice hot bath? Both of you have articulated that so well uh, in the work that Brett and I do with couples. We are often surprised by, we'll hear a couple say that they practice appreciation with each other. But then when we have them actually speak the words of appreciation to the other person, the surprise on their face tells us <laughs> maybe maybe they're not practicing it as much as they think they are, you know, because those words are powerful. And uh, you're exactly right. I think we're thirsty for yeah. just hearing, you know, and not just thankful for the things that we do, but the, the pieces of our character, you know, who we are as yes. well. And you're yep. exactly right. Once we start looking and we start observing, we call it uh, being a student of your spouse. You know, we're just looking for yes. the good. Uh, mm-hmm. It is amazing how easy it is to start. Fun. It, it becomes part of your DNA, really. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. And, and the beautiful thing, too, is that, as Anna was saying, it's so difficult to change a bad habit when you focus on the bad habit. It's like, how do you quit smoking? How do you, you know, how do you stop, you know, whatever it is you do that your bad habit is? The way to change a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. It's the most direct path. The way to change a critical voice is to become a praise voice an appreciation voice. And the magical thing is you can't focus on two things at the same time. So when you're engaged in this treasure hunt, the criticism does start to drop away. And and the thing is we're human. So that critical voice will creep back in again. And we call it the scorecard. Start keeping score with your spouse. You know, the things that they did that bother you, the stuff that they did, you know, that you didn't get to do, the things that you did that they should have done. And we had to do it because they were doing something else. (laughs) All that stuff starts coming in. You can't, throw it out by trying to throw it out. It's like trying to smooth out the ripples on a lake. The way you slow that voice is to, in the moment, look for something you're grateful for. In the moment, look for something you you appreciate. In the moment, even when you're feeling grouchy and crabby and irritated, say, okay, take yourself by the hand and say, now, what do I appreciate in this moment about my spouse? And you may have no answer to that question. Go looking, you'll find it. And the more you do it, 
the more the criticism and the scorecard will just go away on its own. There's no room for it. When you were talking about the scorecard, uh, do you know the the Jerry Seinfeld line? He's talking about marriage and he says, when it comes to marriage, don't be such a good accountant. You know, <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to be keeping score the whole time because we will find ourselves heavy on the ledger one, one time and, and light on the ledger on another. That's great. Awesome. Okay. Well, do either of y'all have a particularly favorite secret or something that maybe you've recognized as exceptionally powerful in your own relationship? I have my favorites. You know, I have five favorites out of these five secrets. It's <laughs> kind of like it's kind of like your five five kids, right? Which one is your favorite? But I I will say that there's there's a secret that is less obvious than appreciate. I think everybody can can appreciate appreciation really readily. It's just so clear that oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, secret number three in the book is a little more subtle, and it often is something that comes up only over time. Um, and it's we call it allow. And what is a what is this? Allow is usually it's it's a faculty that comes up. The need for it comes up in when you're under stress, when there are times of difficulty. In the for better or for worse part of the marriage vows, this is the worst part. This is when times are difficult. When someone is sick, when there's a stress at work, when there's been a crisis, when there's been a catastrophe, or even in more minor ways, someone didn't sleep well, someone is not is not feeling well, whatever's causing the stress, the friction, the fraction, the upset, allow means giving your spouse the benefit of the doubt, giving them a little extra space, giving them more than half the pie plate, <laughs> giving them their share and then some of your share too. Allow means when in doubt, be kind. Assume the best. Assume your partner's good intentions, that they mean well, even if it doesn't feel like in this moment they're acting with those intentions. Because the truth of it is, none of us ever really knows what's going on for the other person. It's true of the stranger on the street. It's true of your coworker. It's also true of your spouse. I mean, you know, you may know your spouse really, really well, but you don't know in this moment what's going on for him or her. Instead of assuming something bad or getting defensive or aggressive or another in some other way, separating from your spouse, it is embracing the situation and, and saying, whatever's going on for them, I'm going to assume it's not about me. It's theirs. It takes the emotional maturity of saying, this is their upset. It's not my upset, but I'm going to be there for them and providing them a context for feeling better, however long that might take. There's this thing we found ourselves chatting about lately about how men tend to be fixers. I don't mean to be sexist about that. I'm sure women tend to be fixers too, but we really see it a lot in men who want to just jump in and fix the situation. Um, the moment the first few words of complaint are out of the other person's mouth. Allowing is often not about fixing. It is, it, it is even not a necessarily about jumping in and saying, what's wrong? Let's talk. Sometimes the other person doesn't need to talk right now. Sometimes the other person doesn't want to tell you what's wrong. They may not even know what's wrong right now. Very often they don't. They just are not right, not feeling well. So that's allow. Allow is don't demand of the situation that it be the way you want it to be. Let it be the way it is. Let the other person be who they are, how they are in this moment rather than trying to change them or control them. Now, Anna said that criticism is the opposite of, of appreciation. Control is really the opposite of allowing. 
That is perfectly and, worded. Anna, give me your thoughts on, on allowing and what that looks like in just everyday life with a married couple. I think it's really the thing that separates relationships that are codependent from ones that are not. Because if you're trying to control the other person or you're trying to mold them into who you want them to be, you're trying to control them. And whenever you're imposing your need or your desire for control onto your spouse, you've let go of loving who they are authentically. And you're basically saying, I love you, but I love you, but I would like you to lose 20 pounds. I love you, but, you know, our intimate life is just not got the same spark anymore. I love you, but, you know, I need this or that every, you know, week, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're exerting your control on it, but a, but is always, you know, a denial of who you are and a denial of what is and, and a shutdown to ever talking about it or discussing it. So the other thing that allow gives you is if you're really going to be allowing, then you're going to be willing to listen. You're also going to be willing to not have answers. You're going to be willing to have the emotional intelligence to allow your partner the space to maybe open up about something traumatic that happened to them when they were younger or for, for the kind of healing that can really occur in a marriage when both parties let go. There's a great example in the practice section of the book of a couple that um, allowed me to use this without their names, obviously, but you know, she had anxiety and he was always attempting to control it. And she was really feeling dismissed by him trying to control it. And at the same time, he was just kept saying things like, hey, it's not a big deal. Cut it out. You know, <laughs> which, what are you so upset about? Yeah. Yeah. Which is no help when you're when you're feeling anxious about something. And as it turned out and as time went on and as he explored the issue for himself, all of a sudden it became apparent that, you know, he had grown up in an alcoholic family with a father who was very critical and very, at times, brutal. And who also was, was in his drinking, had a very strong pattern of denial. So whatever was going on for his son, he would just deny it. And so he learned to deny his own feelings and deny his own experience. And anytime there was anything anxious in the room, he learned how to either shut down and avoid it or to try to shut it down. So when he woke up to that, he actually admitted to her, he said, wow, your anxiety makes me anxious. And it was like a huge moment for the two of yeah. them. I yeah. I mean, a huge moment because they suddenly bonded over the fact that they both felt anxious about these things. Now, she had had a traumatic experience in college that she had legitimate stuff, trauma, that made her feel anxious in new situations. And so, you know, I mean, they really got compassionate in a hurry. And he changed his entire tone with her. She ended up going on to do all this personal work on healing her anxiety. She went on to teach about anxiety. She runs women's groups now, helping women to learn coping mechanisms for anxiety, including, wow. including hormonal, you know, getting, you know, medical issues around hormonal imbalances. And I mean, she's really studied the subject and she's phenomenal. 
And the two of them have just grown so much. But this one issue ended up being a way that once he learned how to allow her to have it, and she learned how to allow for the fact that he had a wound that was very real, some deep, deep healing went down between them. And it was just incredible to witness. I mean, those are the moments as a therapist that you just you just feel so grateful that they were just so open to learning. They were young. They were very young. And I just felt like it was a blessing just to witness it. Absolutely. What a beautiful story and what a breakthrough moment for them. And I think when you can bond over something like that, then you you discover the empathy and then that opens up the whole you know, world for you as a couple. That that's a beautiful story. I just love the the uh the secret of allowing. I, I've never really thought about that particular word. I've thought about the principle of that and what that looks mm-hmm. like in marriage, but I really love how y'all called it allow. That that just has such um a spirit of grace to it and uh just sort of makes me think you can just take a deep breath, <laughs> you know, in your in the yeah. space of your relationship. That's wonderful. It's a little bit like the Seamus Serenity Prayer, right? You know, mm-hmm. it even goes beyond the relationship. It's almost like letting the universe be what it is, acknowledging reality for what it is, and taking ownership of your part in it. Because part of allowing is you're going to let the partner be the way they are, who they are, right? That also means, now what's my part? You know, what do I need to do? How do I need to grow? What do I need to learn about? My this is exactly what Anna was just talking about in this example she used. This guy, it's he suddenly had a breakthrough in that. Oh, I have an issue. I have a th- I have a thing going on. This nice. is a, this is something of mine. I didn't, you know. This is a wonderful opportunity for for discovery and for growth. There's a line in the book that says the purpose of marriage is to give yourself to another person and in the process become your best self. Mm. And I will say, from my experience, when I entered my relationship with Anna. I was already in my 40s. I had done a lot, professionally speaking, in my life, and I'd been through a lot of life experiences. And I thought of myself as a, as a fairly intelligent, knowledgeable, experienced person. But I had so little self-knowledge, really, looking back. Um, self-knowledge. And, and I've learned so much about myself through my relationship with her partly in just in conversations, but partly in the kinds of situations we're talking about. We're learning how to be in a relationship that that actually has me growing and watching her grow and supporting her and growing. And then it's that is for me the beauty and the reward of a great marriage is not just having kids and making a house and creating security and create that's all great. But that's just like the launching pad that isn't the rocket ship. (laughs) The rocket ship is who we can become both of us mm. as people. I think that I could, I would say I could never have been the person that I am, let alone who I may be in 10 years on my own, you know, without, without being in this relationship with Anna. Hmm. I get that. That's so perfectly worded. I, you know, my husband, Brett is a pastor. And so from a faith-based perspective, yeah. you know, we often tell people the greatest a laboratory for spiritual formation is your marriage relationship. Yeah. I think even more so than parenting and all of yes. the other relationships yeah. that we have, because it's such a unique 
relationship, unique to everything else, you know, we have. But I, I just love that the it seems like the the focus of this book is so much about showing up as the best person rather than wanting to fix our spouse. You know, culturally, mm-hmm. particularly when 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 people are looking for a mate. You know, there's this idea of I got to find my soulmate. I've got to find the perfect person, and da, da, da. <laughs> and the focus is so much on the person yes. you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Very few people talk about who am I becoming. You know, rather than trying to find the perfect partner, am I becoming a good, healthy, stable, nurturing partner? And I, it feels like this book. And again, I've only had a couple of excerpts from it, but I am so excited to read it cover to cover because <laughs> I feel like that is obviously the focus is is really bringing our best selves to our marriage relationship. I will go out on a limb here and say you're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, good, good. You're going to love it, and even though the entire Go Giver series was written from a secular standpoint. This is very much a faith-based mission for us. And we actually do workshops in churches across the country that are Zoom events so that people can just join from wherever they are. And uh, we've made them very affordable. They're just two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour Zoom events where we really go and do a deep dive on the five secrets and teach it. And then we also take question and answer, not to air dirty laundry, but simply to answer questions for people about how to work with it. And so it's a really, uh, people love the workshops simply because they can then go to their men's group or their women's group who will hold them accountable for practicing it. And also just kind of take that step to just take daily actions to improve their marriages. And we've, you know, shared this with people for years. This isn't, you know, the book is new, but we have, you know, this is a passion for us. Yeah, I mean, you said it really beautifully before. There's just so much to discover about your partner and also so much that you might discover that is your material. It's a mm-hmm. treasure hunt. You're right about the parenting and the, and the versus the marriage too. A lot of people put a lot of energy into parenting. Yes, and when they yes. do, they let go of the energy they're giving to the marriage. Mm-hmm. And then they wake up 15 years later when the kids are leaving the nest and they, they're like two strangers in the same house. And we really like to work with people about that because you can be an amazing parent and you can also have, you are modeling marriage for your children. Whether you like it or not, you're modeling marriage for your children. So do you want your your children to see two parents who adore each other, who put each other's needs first and who are just really, really good to each other? Mm-hmm. Because that's the kind of stuff that will make healthy children who go off and find healthy spouses and who stay married. That's how cycles are broken. Everybody's got a story from their childhood and they could carry that as a cycle into the next generation. Do you want to? Yeah. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, my husband, Brett, and I have been in what we call a married life group. We've been married 34 years, but we've been in a, a group with six other couples for about 15 years. And it's just yeah. marriage focus. We just read marriage books and, you know, we're kind of geeky about the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> I think all of us, all seven couples have said at one point or another in the last 15 years that being in that group, that peer group together has gotten us through some pretty tough seasons. Mm. And so I'm excited for this book to be our next book for our married life oh. group. I just cannot wait to recommend it. Um, just one or two more quick questions and then we'll we'll let you guys hop off. Um, who is this book written for? Is it just for married people? Ah, 
What a great question. I mean, it, it is certainly for married people, but it's also very much for, for other groups, such as people who aren't married yet, but who are planning to be married. It's certainly a great wedding present. It's good for people who are on the path toward a marriage. It's great for, honestly, it's great for people who are single and there's no relationship on the horizon, but they would like at some point to have that relationship. In fact, I'd be just, the more people like that read this book, I would be so thrilled because wouldn't it be great to, to steep yourself in this stuff before you enter into, into the marriage, into a relationship? It's for people, I, I want to add, who, um, who have been married for years, and this describes quite a few people, and the marriage is not on the rocks, it's not in trouble, but somehow it's not all that it could be, or it even isn't what it once was. We're not just on a mission to save marriages from splitting up, from divorcing. We're also out on a mission to save marriages from the slow freeze into old age. The marriage just you know, kind of empties out and becomes an empty bottle by the time you die. you die. That's not the goal of marriage. It should be growing and growing and growing and growing. I'd even go further and say that, that honestly, the, the, the principles in the book, the five secrets, you can, you'll see ways that you can apply those principles to, to any relationships in your life, to colleagues, to siblings, to parent and child, because they're really just human, human relationship principles. But they are, it is you know, really focused on the lifelong committed relationship of two people in a household. And that can be marriage at any stage, any phase, any part of the part of the cycle. Mm, I love that. I just have learned the the marriage tools that we've learned through our marriage relationship and and also just doing the work that isn't it fun doing marriage work? I, I just I love being with couples. We we feel like even after we retire, we'll just keep doing this, you know, without getting paid, you know, and just keep doing it. But we really love getting to share life with other married people and to encourage them along the way. And obviously the two of you have that same passion. It's, it's really great to, to discover who you are. And we're so excited about the book. I just, I think good marriage tools are almost universal to any air arena of your relationships. I've, yes. I know that things I've learned in my marriage work have helped me with my extended family and work colleagues and, you know, exactly. Like, my in-law, my kid in-laws and all of that. So it's just a wonderful mm-hmm. thing to, to be involved in. Well, is there anything else about the book that you all want to say before we hop off and end the interview? Because uh, I'm just so excited for our audience to, uh, if they didn't already know who you are, that they will uh, be introduced to you today. Well, I think we, we mentioned our website, which is gogivermarriage.com. And that has all our different programs. We also do book clubs. And we want people to know that we love to join book clubs and come in and, and spend an hour chatting with people about the secrets. Those are, those are really fun events. So I think that the thing that we want people to know is we are actually training coaches starting in the fall. And we have a goal, and that is to create coaches that are, go around the world that really carry the message of generosity and of basically changing from holding the scorecard to letting it go and moving to a new dimension in your marriage where you're giving and where there's just an element of love that's always present. I think that God meant for marriage to be divine in every way. And I think that there's so many ways that people can wake up and, 
and change everything about their marriage. So I think, go ahead, John. I'd like to add to that, 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 that practically speaking, in, you know, in many cases, people will read this book as a couple, and that's fabulous. We love it when that happens. But there will be many cases where only, at this moment, only one person in the marriage is taking the initiative or is feeling the call to do something to improve their life, their life, their married life. And you'll find one person, the couple's kind of ahead, one is a few feet behind. This is normal. We get the question, does it work if only one person practices the secrets? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> Very much so. In fact, that is one of the wonderful things about these secrets. If just one person in the marriage begins to practice them earnestly, it will spread like a very good infection in the whole house. Uh, everybody will pick up the change in the spirit of, of the house, the tone, as Anna said. So yes, very much. One person can read the book, practice the secrets, and the whole family will will get the benefit. Yeah, I love that. We, we often talk about the metaphor of a dance. And in marriage, if you're doing a dance together and one of you changes the step, for for good or bad, the other person is kind of forced to get on board. Otherwise, you're just going to be fumbling all over each other. So, <laughs> uh, so I love that idea, and I'm glad you, you because that that was a question I forgot to ask you. Was we get the same question? What if I'm trying to improve things, yeah. but he or she doesn't seem to be on board? Yep. So yep. that's really great. So the website Normal. is the best place for everyone to find you all online, or y'all on social media at all? We are. We're yep. on every branch of social media except for TikTok. We're on on IG. Uh, It is our full name on Instagram. It's Anna Gabriel Mann and John David Mann. And then also there's Go Giver Marriage on Instagram as well, where we have constant flow of of information going. Yeah, we have a lot of different things on the horizon for ways that we're sort of taking the message out. And so that's where it'll be like the hub central where you can find out what's happening. And on Instagram. communicate back and forth. If anybody emails us about the book, it's us that answers those emails. And Anna pointed out there's a constant flow of information on our, on our Go-Giver Marriage Instagram. I would say information and also inspiration. Um, Anna writes the most beautiful posts. And uh, so her Instagram account and the Go-Giver Marriage Instagram account, they're just really, they will lift your spirit. I just, I show pictures of my dog and quotes from my books. But <laughs> Well, this has been an incredible treat. Uh, The Go-Giver Marriage book is, uh, as we said at the beginning, the release date is March 8th of uh, 2022. Uh, We wish you, uh, Anna and John, all the success with this book. I hope lots and lots of people buy it. I know our audience will be thrilled uh, with this interview, and I think we'll... uh, you'll get some uh, subscribers from this as well. But uh, thank you so much. This interview has been a real treat for me mm-hmm. and we're so honored to have you both. Thank, thank you. you so much. Pleasure beautiful, being here. Beautiful interview. Thank you so yeah. much. Well, if you'd like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org. And if you're enjoying Marriage to the Max, we hope you'll help us keep it going by supporting Home Encouragement. Just go to homeencouragement.org and click the donate button. Any amount helps. Also, we would be thrilled if you would rate us and write a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps us have more visibility and helps people find Marriage to the Max. Well, thank you so much for listening today. And until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless y'all.